Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start reading again this morning, covering this doxology of praise that Paul gives forth here in this text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him." in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye had heard the word of truth, that the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we beckon your throne today with great prayer, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit upon us and that you will make sense of your word in our hearts and that we will apply it in our hearts and that we will see this time that we have labored in these 14 verses are not in vain, but because they contain some of the greatest, richest content for the believer understanding this great salvation that we have. Lord, I give praise to you for all that you've done. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Be with those who are teaching next door and those who are downstairs, Lord. I pray that you use this time, Lord, to save the sinner, Lord. If there be someone lost without Christ, that today you, they will see their need of you, Lord. I pray that if there be someone who has been under conviction, Lord, because of your word, that today they will heed your word, respond to your call, and follow after you. I give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin here this morning exactly where we left off last week with the latter part of verse 7. And this morning we'll, Lord willing, look at the latter part of verse 7 in connection with verses 8, 9, and 10. This last part of verse 7, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we seen last week. We've seen this great 
message of being redeemed, even what it means to have forgiveness of sin by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All, he says here in verse 6, all to the praise of the glory of His grace. Really, if you was to summarize the verse first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, you could summarize it in this sentence. The reason that this is looked at as the doxology of praise is because what Paul is putting forth through here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that this is a time to praise God because it is in this 14 verses that he shows what God can do with a once hell-bound sinner. Hear me now. Paul offers up praise to hear about what God did in him. These 14 verses about what God did in us through God, through Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit. There was no praise offered up here about what Allah did. Allah could not do what these first 14 verses offer up. Muhammad couldn't do it, no matter how high he jumped from a rock. The Dalai Lama couldn't do what God did. Buddha could not do what God did. Here alone, not even your own self could do what God did. You did not look to him. He first looked upon you. Paul makes it here. This is why it's all to the praise of the glory of his grace, because it is God's grace. That saved the hellbound sinner. And this is why it's praise after praise after praise. But it's so much more. Paul can't stop there. We stopped last week with, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. But Paul says it's more than this. It's more than the forgiveness of sin. He goes on to says, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace, God did it out of his own riches in glory. He poured out the purse upon me. He emptied the purse and when the fact that he sent his own son, he gave it all. His son came, born of a virgin, and he too gave it all. Lived his life as both God and man came into this earth, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And there in the cross of Calvary, mankind has been found themselves. For those who put their faith in Christ, we have been justified, made just if we had never sinned. In God's eyes, the payment of sin was nailed to the cross. This is what we call in our faith justification. Judgment was needed for our sins, and God, through his Son on Calvary's hill, took the judgment. This is why we are called to live now sanctified. This is the confusing part of what we see in modern-day Christianity, is it not? We're sick of watching the news. We're sick of watching television. Television, they put forth, I've seen this man who just committed this Ah, this tragic crime. And he was locked up in prison. Two years later, I mean, this guy should have, they should have thrown the key away, in my opinion. Two years later, he's released from prison, and guess what he does? He returns back to his own sin, and only now does he not return back to the same crime that originally got him locked up. He takes it a step further and murders two people. We're frustrated. 
this bothers us. This angers us about the judicial system. That how is this man be allowed to set free to continue on in his sin? Yet, yet we say this about the judicial system today. And yet there are so many believers who said that they have been to Calvary. Where they have recognized that they have been justified through Christ taking their punishment on Calvary. And they walk away from Calvary's hill returning to their own sin. Not living a sanctified life. What confusion is this. It confuses us that the judicial system ever let them free. And when it comes to the child of God, it confuses us that you've ever been set free. Because how can we live in such an old path? It ought not be so. So he closed this verse in verse 7. According to the riches of his grace. And it was not enough. It was not enough there. Paul wanted to say more about the riches of God's grace according to the riches of his grace. But then in verse 8 he says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He having made known even further, un, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. We have been Blessed in Christ we've seen, beloved in Christ, predestined in Christ, redeemed in Christ, forgiven in Christ. And now we enjoy today in this life, as a believer, there's nothing that we enjoy in this life apart from Christ. But as faithful as Paul is to this text, he says, there's so much more. There's more to tell you about these riches from glory. Wherein, he says, that he has abounded toward us all wisdom and prudence. Now, the connection here is the connection between verse 7 and verse 8, that the riches of His grace, this unmerited favor of God, this operation in which we have received from the benevolent hand of God in the sending of His Son, Paul says in this verse 7, according to the riches of His grace, and he swipes the pen, but it's like it's, it's not enough. It needs more. Through the urging of the Holy Spirit, he says, Paul indeed explains more to tell us more about the riches of our Lord. I've met people who say this. I mean, this is what he says. In verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us. This is connecting to the riches of his glory, the riches of his grace. He not only had this, but he abounded it towards us. Have you ever met someone who likes to brag about someone in their family who's really well-to-do? Someone in their family who's really rich, who just seems to have all the money? Not too long ago, as I was going through the television, I came by an extra show, and it was this lady who lives down in Kentucky and she was going through extra and telling them all about this home that she lived in. It was just a normal home. But the catch to the whole extra series is that her brother was a man who's made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in the movie industry. And yet here it is. Her sister is in, his sister is in near poverty. 
Why would you ever brag about having such a rich relative if it did not affect you at all? Matter of fact, there would be no bragging. Instead, you would find yourself bitter. And that is exactly why Paul offers up to here in verses 7 and 8 even more praise. He says, not only is God rich, not only have we experienced God's great blessings upon us according to the riches that exist in glory, but he goes on in verse 8 to say, wherein he hath abounded it toward us. It wasn't left in heaven. What a great relation. This is how I brag on my heavenly father, that all the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him, and he has abounded this love towards me. He has abounded the riches of glory towards me. I am the recipient of my father's great wealth. This is why he says, what a joyful moment, all to the glory of his grace, all to the glory of his praise, because not only does he have all these riches, but we are the recipients of it, the riches of his grace. Our God who was in need of nothing, our God who was uh, stood in the position of owner of it all, he looked down from heaven and hath abounded the riches of glory into us. Now, we may be thinking, in what manner can we say that we have truly been recipients of the riches of glory? Wherein has all of this wealth been abounded to us? Paul said it's been given to us. Therefore, we must stand as recipients of it. Where does he say we stand as recipients of it? Wherein he hath, he hath abounded toward us in what? In all wisdom and prudence. That's what verse says. Another matter about this, Paul could uh, not just say that he have gave us the riches of his grace. Now, now listen, if Paul would have said that he had gave us the riches of his grace, if he would have closed out verse 7 with that, that would have been sufficient and that would have been more than we deserved. Yet he says he has abounded it to me. Do not miss what this word abounded means. And it brings a better understanding what God has done in the life of the believer Abounded means to exceed the fixed number of measure. It means to have left over above a certain number. It means to be over. It means a thing that which comes in abundance or overflows unto one, something that falls to the lot of one in large measure. It means to exceed. It means that God in his infinite foreknowledge looked down through the portals of time and seen Daniel Holt and he understood the grace that he would need in his life. And God, not only through the riches of glory, gave me that grace, but he abounded it. It means he super exceeded it. He lavishly put it upon me. He gave me more than I could ever use up in my own personal life. That is how much grace he has poured out upon me. Redeemed through his blood. Forgiven of sins according to the riches of his grace. Which hath given you even more than you will ever need. Now, this is for certain not a promotion to live in sin, but it is also an assurance in our life that all the sin that we have ever committed, all the mistakes that we will ever make, 
God has richly covered it by His grace. More grace than we will ever need. Now we must ask ourselves, wherein did He do this? What is the manifestation in our lives that God has poured out upon us the riches of glory? How can we see this? It is manifested here. Look what he says. Toward us in the end of verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This is how it's made manifest. Wisdom. This comes from the Greek word Sophia. It, it means cleverness. It means skill that has been given to you to fulfill a handicraft. Skill that is given to you in order to fill or fulfill an art which has been put before you. Prudence. Prudence is this word meaning insight. It means that you have received understanding. Understanding, insight, wisdom about what? That we have now been able, according to verse number 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. We are made wise. We are giving insight in Christ, through Christ, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But understand that it is all connecting here, that you may be here this morning saying that your salvation made me wise. Yes. Your salvation made you intelligent. Yes. It made you prudent, far, than, far beyond your understanding. Well, then we must say, if we are wise and we are prudent, in what ways is this manifested? It was just the other day I was going through the drive-thru at a local restaurant. As I was going through the drive-thru, I handed a lady a tract and wanted her to come to church. Matter of fact, there was a long line. I was hoping that she would just give me a few brief moments of her time so I could preach the gospel to her. But yet she looked at the track, looked at me, looked at the track, looked at me and shut the door, the window to the restaurant. She had reasoned in her mind that whatever I was preparing to tell her was not the answer. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of her mind told me what this tract offered for her, what the message that I was given to her, her wisdom said she don't need it. Her wisdom said that she already had another way. Her wisdom said that she already had understanding about what is going to happen after this life. But in truth, her wisdom was from the God of this world. The God of this world had blinded her eyes. She believed she knew better, yet not out of arrogance, not out of some kind of pompousness within myself. I indeed knew that she did not know better. Was that arrogance? No, that was wisdom. That was insight from God. Because wisdom from God lets us know that the only hope we have is in God. Wisdom from God lets us know that the insight that we have, that we desperately needed God, was given from God. And how did this wisdom come to us? How did you get insight? How did you get insight that you was in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because God in heaven, with the riches of his glory, not only abounded, but he superabounded from heaven above and poured out his grace upon the wicked Believer, unbeliever, and made him a believer. 
the lady in the window did not see her need of Christ. Yet her wisdom says she has enough. Yet her wisdom says that she is okay. And such were some of us. Until we read that beautiful verse, until the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ was shined down in our hearts. And we were given wisdom from God through Christ and confessed our sins and repented it. Why did we do such a thing? Why? Why did we go that way? Because of the riches of his grace. And so there is one measure of it. God hath made us wise concerning salvation. Think about that. Wherein have you ever seen that you were in desperate need of Christ until God unveiled your eyes? But not only has he made us wise, insight in the matter of salvation, but God has given us even more wisdom and insight, understanding the condition of this world concerning the kingdom of God. Has he not? Has not wisdom and insight from God allowed us to live peaceful Christian lives in such an unbelieving, chaotic world? It was the wisdom of God that made us see our need of him. This is nothing new. This is even estranged from the teaching of the Lord's early ministry. When the disciples believed, they did not become wise about the matters of the world, yet they became wise about the world. That is very different. We are not saved and made wise and intelligent about the matters in it, but we are made wise about the condition of the world. The Lord said to them in Mark chapter 4 and verse 11, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. There it is again. To us have been saved the mystery, this word mystery, you can just equate it to revelation, meaning the revelation of the kingdom of God is given to us to know. And so here Paul says in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Not because of who we are, but because of the riches that has been poured out upon us, because of what has been revealed unto us. Has it not changed our worldview because of the insight God has given to us? People running around frantic saying, it's going to break out into a all-world war. The whole entire world is going to be destroyed by nukes. And we laugh at that. How do we laugh at that in such a chaotic time? Because we have insight. We have wisdom from God that God is going to be the one who destroys this world. And if we have this wisdom insight, we know that man is far gone. We see that the world is offering many false hopes. We see these things on television. This man can heal you and that man can heal you. And yet we stand back and our hearts are broken. And, we're, 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 and we realize that we must do something about it. But how can your heart be broken? How are you not bamboozled by the people of this world, these faith healers? How are you not pulled in by this? Because God has given you wisdom. God has given you insight through his word. Even more, we could say, 
The world says, live your best life now. You have it all now. And this is the best it's going to get is whatever you achieve now. Yet we laugh at that. We step away from that. Why? Because we understand that there is a better day coming for us. Even more, the world says, get your mansion now. Build your mansion now. And we step back from that and we don't uh, saturate ourselves with the affairs of those things because we recognize, according to John chapter 14, that there is a mansion waiting for us in glory. How did you ever come to that resting? How did you ever come to that feeling? Well, through the riches of glory, God has poured out unto us. He has abounded to us all wisdom and prudence. Realize this. The entire world is searching every way they can to get wealth, to get houses, to get property, to gain assets. They have given their very life to it. When they look at the wickedness of the world, they're saying try medication, try this, try rehab, try coaching. And they are trying to solve a matter that exists in the world. And we step back and say, it won't work. It won't help. If it does, it'll only be temporary. Why? Because we recognize the only hope for this world is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how did you get there? Because God has richly poured out upon us the riches of his grace. He has abounded upon us, superseded us. In what manner is this made known to us? That we have the wisdom and insight from God. This is how it's made known. This is how we've been given understanding. This is how Paul is saying, you may not say that you're, you, know, you have physical riches because of what God's done in your life, but hasn't it helped your worldview? Hasn't it helped you from falling into the traps of this world? Hasn't it helped you from looking to this world? I mean, how did you ever become so wise? How did you ever become so wise? Where's your pharmaceutical degree? that you're going to sit here and say that this pill isn't going to fix this problem? Where's your therapist degree? Where are you so wise to say that this therapist isn't going to fix this problem? What about this psychological degree to be a psychologist? What kind of degree do you have? What kind of authority do you have in all of these worlds to say that they will not bring lasting hope? Because we have wisdom and insight from the creator of it all. It has been abounded upon us through the riches of his grace. God sent his son and according to the riches of our Lord, wherein he abounded to us in wisdom and in prudence, giving us understanding, giving us wisdom. Why? That we might understand, according to verse 9, the mystery, the revelation of his will. No natural man knows the wisdom of God, lest it was given to him. Matter of fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the princes of the Lord's day did not understand the wisdom of God. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6 through 8? How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
yet they denied it. Yet we stand here some 2,000 years later offering a testimony that they indeed crucified our Lord. What wisdom is this? How is it that the king of the day, the rulers of their day, Pilate of their day, and all these people who were said to preserve the word of God, the Old Testament in their day, set out to crucify our Lord. Yet we stand here with intelligence and wisdom, understanding what they did taught our Lord. Where did you get this wisdom and insight? The world says that we must bring peace on this earth, and yet we understand that it takes peace. In order to have peace, it must first be in Christ, in Christ. And yet we understand as Paul offers up this doxology, he closes out with verse 10 saying, and by the way, this peace is coming. He says, and by the way, this is all coming to an end. All of this wisdom and all of this intelligence that God has given us, it leads us to an understanding. It actually corrects our eschatology that it's coming to an end one day in Christ. That all of this is going to end. All of this worship and all of this preaching and all of this praying is going to end up one day being gathered together with God in Christ. That's what verse 10 says. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, this is the coming millennium, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. We understand this. We understand that there's coming a coming millennial reign of Christ. <laughs> where the Bible says in the Old Testament that he will make his enemies his footstool, that all will be put away, that all will be put to silence, that no one will even argue. Yet we recognize that even in our day, this French philosopher Andre Maurice said, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite speed? I have not the slightest idea, and I am convinced that no one has the least idea. The world professed him to be wise. The world professed him to be the philosopher of their day. And yet we stand here and realize how unwise they really are. Jesus' words recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25 at the, it says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. The wise of this world may miss it, yet we sit here and understand it. This is not amazing. I may have never put a satellite in outer space I may never send a spaceship to outer space. I may never design the next card. I can't solve the next wonders of the world. Yet I stand here. And with all the confidence of the world, I can tell you how the world began. 
What's man's purpose? What's the world's purpose? What's the problem for the world? What's the cure for the world? What's the hope we have? And when I am unsure about matters of the world, the Lord says in James chapter 1 and verse 25, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Why? Why does he do this? Why do we have this wisdom? Why do we see that the praise of his glory that he made us accepted in the blood? Why the riches of his grace? Why has he even poured it out upon us? Why has it been abounded upon us? Why has he given us wisdom and intelligence to understand what is yet to come? Why did he purpose all of this in himself? That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that he went what? That he might gather together in one. All things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. But why? But why again? Why has God done all of this for us? All of these blessings. Why chosen before the foundation of the world? Why made holy? Why blameless? Why adopted? Why redeemed through Christ's blood? Why the forgiveness of sin? Why wisdom? Why insight? According to the riches of his grace. Why? 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 So that he might one day gather us all together in Christ with him. This is it. All of this was 100% necessary so that we can be unified one day with God the Father. It is all in purpose. It all matters. Every step of it. He gives us wisdom and insight to let us know that hope is on the horizon. And he also lets us know why everything has happened. So that one day we will all be gathered together in Christ with him. And yet the world is still trying to solve the judicial system. The world is still trying to solve how to make a man behave correctly, how to change someone's mind about crime, how to do this, and yet they ponder and wonder and they scurry about, they waste time, they give all these arguments trying to figure out how they're going to fix this and how they're going to fix that. They fail to recognize what we recognize, that the paradise that was on this earth was lost in Adam. And the only hope for this paradise to be restored is in Christ. That's why we keep seeing it in the first 14 verses. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The only hope that we have is in Christ. We have a glimmer, a, a snapshot, a, a peek through, so to say, of what this will be like one day. When he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, Whenever I think about the dispensation and the fullness of time, this time in which God decides, whenever I think about this, that we'll all be gathered together, my mind immediately goes to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 when he says that in this moment, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I imagine this when I think about this moment where Christ is reigning upon the earth, where all of this insight that we've been given comes true because of the insight that I've been given. I see us all bowing the knee at the throne of God, worshiping and praising him for such a great salvation. Now, we fight our own flesh to continue and labor 14 verses about why Paul is praising the glory of his grace. 
we say that it's too long. <laughs> How much longer in these short 14 verses? Listen, buckle up and hang in. We're going to do it for all eternity. What do you mean? All eternity. We are going to praise the glory of his grace that he abounded on us in this life. Forever. Infinite. Time will be removed. And yet God will still remain. And we will praise and worship him because we will see for the first time in our lives how worthy he is of our praise. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you and praise you for all that you've done. We thank you for revealing unto us the mystery of your will to give us understanding, this wisdom, this insight of the condition of the world and what is yet to come. Lord, we understand how lost a man would be if he was in the wilderness without a compass, and yet you've left us one. With confidence, we can look and be guided through this wicked world. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.